Sandra. Am I on? Check, check. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, I am blessed to get to stand and preach God's word to you all uh, this morning. We've got a couple of places that we want to go um, in the text today. I want to give you kind of an outline of what we're going to be looking at before we get into that, though. Uh, I want us to, to open up in prayer. We've got a lot sick among us. We've got a lot um, of tragedies that have that have befallen many of our uh, church families. So I just uh, want us to open up in prayer for them specifically, and and I ask that you all would be in prayer for me as I as I preach this morning. Let's pray. Thank you that you would allow us to come to this place uh, freely, openly, uh, that we could worship you, that we could. Uh, spend time and fellowship with you in the study of your word. I pray for those among us who are who are sick in, in any way, who are not able to be here with us this morning. I pray for those uh, in our in our church family, in our extended church family, uh, who uh, have experienced tragedy in in, in uh, the previous week. I just pray that you would uh, move and work and in each and every way, uh, Lord. I pray as we. Dig into your word this morning, that you would move by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would encourage your church through uh, the the message that you've placed on my heart this morning, uh, that they would uh, be reminded of the hope that's before them and how that hope presses back into each of our paths and, and, and presses forward into the into the future that, that, that I hope today maybe becomes more clear. Uh, more real to us in such a way that we could live each and every moment of our lives uh, unhindered by the the sin or the 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 shame of our past and 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 encouraged by the hope before us uh, in in a way that that we would uh, be world changers for you, Lord. I thank you for the hope that we find in the gospel of Christ, and I thank you that we serve a resurrected Savior that death could not hold him. Lord, speak through your word this morning. It's in Christ's name, for his glory. Amen. All right, so I want to kind of give you an outline of what we're going to be looking at this morning in the text. We're going to be kind of the idea here is I want us to to consider the reality of the resurrection, right? The reality of the resurrection. And, And in particular, I want us to consider the realness of the resurrection. I think oftentimes... And this is something as I've been kind of digging into this, as I've considered just sermons that I hear, not necessarily here at Mount Carmel, but just in the American church in general, I think a lot of times we have our hope fixed in something that, that we can't we can't understand, we can't grasp, we can't really we can't really call it in a lot of ways a hope because we don't know what it looks like, or we think that we don't know what it looks like. It's something spiritual, it's something other, it's something that we feel like we have no grasp or reality of. And what I want us to look at as we kind of refocus on the resurrection of Christ today is I want us to understand the realness of this thing, the reality of what took place and how that affects not only our past, how it affects our future, and how our understanding of those two kind of help us to press forward day to day in in the now. So we're going to kind of consider four things. One, the reality of the resurrection. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when we do that. The second thing, we're going to consider how this reality affects our past, looking at Romans chapter 6. Then we're going to look, and this is going to seem strange when we get there, but we're going to consider the, the realness or the reality of our future hope in the resurrection, uh, being partakers within the, in the, the harvest of the resurrection that Christ is the first fruits of in the book of Luke, looking at Christ post-resurrection in chapter 24, and then we're going to go over to Hebrews chapter 12 and see how our understanding of our past, our understanding of our future helps us to be uh, prepared and ready to live today so that we don't waste so that we don't waste our lives. So if you would, I want us to just kind of jump, dive into the Scripture this morning. There's going to be quite a bit of, of reading here. Again, keep your, keep your thoughts in your minds as we're reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on the realness of the resurrection. I'm going to point out in a, in a couple of places why it's so important that we consider this and why Paul makes the reality of the resurrection a hill to die on for the Christian faith. So... Uh, 
This is not new knowledge to any of us, and, and that's why just as Paul opens up in chapter 15, 1, as a reminder, I would, I, would, I would echo that as well. Paul says, chapter 15, verse 1, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. In verse 3 through 5, and, and, and really uh, through verse 8, we see what's known as the pre-Paulian creed. Now, I want to point out in this what Paul says. The very first verse here that we start digging into, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, if we were to look at this and we were to consider the, the dating of the writing of the book here and, and we were to consider where Paul could have received this, this is likely, this text, which is known as the pre-Pauline Creed, likely arrives or likely is already on the scene and developed within the church within five years of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that's why I want to talk about and consider the realness of this thing. And that's why I've kind of planted us in this text this morning. Because when Paul says that he's delivering what he receives, what we see in these coming words are, are something that we should be able to set ourselves to memory. And what I would say, without a doubt, the early church did. So Paul's received this um, around 36 A.D., again, within easily within in a five-year time span of death, burial, and resurrection. And, and this is an established understanding of the church. He's received this. So this the resurrection of Christ, the reason that I'm, that I'm making this a big deal, the resurrection of Christ is not a later development in church history. This is not a myth that evolved hundreds of years after the events when nobody could have falsified what happened. What the church is based in is a reality that a man who died and was dead, executed by professionals at execution, was later seen to be alive. How many of us know someone who was dead and gone who is now alive? It doesn't happen. Dead people... Stay dead. Something happened to Christ. And we are here today because of the reality of that event. So this is what the early church believed. This is what was passed to Paul. Paul's now passing on here. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Now I want to stop here. and I want to sh when, when I say that, that the church within five years understood, he's here reciting a creed that the church passed to him. And they within five years. Likely earlier than this, but within five years, no more than that. Understand not only the events, but the significance of those events. Notice, according to Scripture, these events happened, and we're not just telling you this, but they happened according to Scripture. Scripture foretold these events. The church understands this. It's a real thing that happened. And the Scripture had been speaking of it all along. Again, let's read it. And I want you to see as we, as we look at this, how, how this creed ties back into Scripture, the knowledge that they have. That Christ died for our sins. What? Accordance, in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He was buried... That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, this Peter, then to the twelve. Paul goes on to say, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. When we see this, when we get what the church was saying, 
the radical thing that the church was preaching, they were not basing it off of something you could not check for yourself. He's naming names here. He's like, look, there's 500. Now, some of them's died. But there's 500 at once that saw him. This is not visions. This is not hallucinations. They saw him with their own eyes. And he appeared to me. Like this is a reality, right? This is something that happened. Now, a lot of times, like I say, when we think about what we do here, when we think about what's going on here, a lot of times we over-spiritualize things to the point that we feel like we have no true grasp on what it is that we hope for. Yes, we all believe in the resurrection, but what does that mean? What does that mean for us? What does it mean that we have a Savior who was raised from the dead and it, here's the thing, is alive today in that body that He was raised in? That's the reality. And that's what I hope as we dig into this, we, we get. I hope that it becomes more real to us as we dig into this. Because like I say, Paul in, in giving them this creed that he had received and and pointing them towards the witnesses he goes on in verse 12 to really to really put the flag in the ground on this hill that we cannot abandon this idea that this idea is critical not only is it critical that we understand that christ was raised but that our hope is the resurrection. Your hope, church, is the resurrection. And, and, and here's what happens in our over-spiritualized mindset. If I say that our hope is the resurrection, you yourselves are like, hold on, our hope's Jesus, right? Our hope's Jesus. Right, absolutely our hope's Jesus. If you want to go to that spiritualized thing, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. But what Paul's saying here is physical bodily resurrection is critical to our understanding of what we hope for and what we say happened on that third day when Christ was raised from the dead. It's important. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, that's what we proclaim. Christ is raised. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So there were believers whose hope was apparently in something that didn't involve what happened to Christ. And Paul is here addressing this, saying, no, 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 no. If there's no resurrection for us, there was no resurrection for him. That's the tie that he's making here when he says this. Read it again. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So our hope for life in the resurrection is founded in Christ being raised from the dead. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Listen, if anyone preaches to you a hope that does not involve the resurrection, then your hope is in vain. Do you hear me? Is, and, and this is Scripture. If your hope in Christ is for this life only, then, then you are a, a people most to be pitied. That's Scripture. We're going we're gonna to dig into that. So, so our hope in Christ, who is the resurrection, is real and bodily resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 12, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Is your faith in vain, church? No. No. Why? Because the resurrection is real. It is historic. There was a real man who died a real death, buried in a real grave, who rose to live again. You could touch Him. You could see Him. You could speak to Him. You could cling to Him. He could eat. We're going to look at these things. This was a real man that came back from the grave. Not some kind of spirit without body. Jesus is a real man. Your resurrection hope looks like Him. And that's as we dig into this thinking about our futures and our hope in the futures, that's what I want us to get. Because a lot of you, again, and I've said this in the past, a lot of you think that your hope for a future looks like a spiritually 
I mean, I use the Casper analogy. You think it looks like you think it looks more like that than the man that you see standing before you now. And you think that you're going to be fluttering around in church pews for all eternity. And we, I don't know how that's come upon us, but what I want to tell you is that your hope for eternity looks more like what you know than what you can understand. And in some ways, so much better that it will blow our minds when we see it. But it is not something completely foreign to you. And we know that because Christ was raised as we will be raised. Right? He is the first fruits of that. We're going to see that. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Understand this. That Christ truly in body being raised from the dead is evidence to every one of you who believe in Him that your sins have been put away at the cross. Death could not hold this man because he was innocent and he was who he claimed to be. And if he were not raised, then you all are wasting your time coming here. Because if he stayed dead, if his body had been stolen away, it had been buried in another place. If they had overlooked it as they glanced in. If it had have been too dark. Then everything you believe is futile. It's a waste. But the reality is. Is that he was raised from the dead. He is alive today. And in that. We have a hope that should change everything. Verse 18. Then those, and this is following that idea that if Christ be not raised, then you're, you're still in your sin. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Do you get that? That everyone who, who, who in here has buried someone in Christ? Right? Who has been to a funeral that was for you in that moment? You knew, though, though you may be mourning, you knew that they were with Christ. Who? 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 If Christ is not raised, then you were a fool to believe anything else than that they are dead and whatever they were is gone forever. You will never see them again if Christ is not raised. You will never talk to them again. You will never touch them. You will never speak to them. You will never walk with them. If Christ is not raised. But the fact is. Is that Christ is raised. And that changes everything about what we hope for. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. And in this. In this. Do you, do you get what he's saying here? That if we do religion only for the life that it can provide us now, if your best life is now, then you of all are most to be pitied. We, if that's what we're preaching, is that the best that our religion can do is comfort us now, then we should be pitied, is what Paul says. But in fact, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I want us to pay attention to this idea of first fruits here. The idea being is that if you, were, if you had a harvest and that harvest was growing up and you wanted to know what that harvest would look like, you would go and you would take a little bit of that harvest. That would be the first fruits of that harvest. And you would be able to look at that and you would be able to determine what the rest of the harvest looked like. And Paul says here that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So those who, who if He were not raised would have perished, 
He is the first fruits of that harvest. The resurrection has begun in Christ. There will not be two resurrections. There will be one. Christ started it and on His return, He will finish it. You will, as believers, you will be the result of that harvesting. So if He's the first fruits, we need not fear that we can't grasp for what that day might look like. Because we see Him in Scripture after the resurrection. So we should be able to look at those passages of text and glean from them some idea of what we might hope our resurrection will look like. You follow me there? Are you following me? Alright, so as we dig into this, I want us to... to, to to understand is that as we understand the, the realness of the resurrection, how that applies not only to our past, but to our future hope. And, and he says, verse, verse 21, For as by man came death, by man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, again this word for first fruits, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Wow, what a hope we have in Him. So as we consider the realness of what took place on that day, what the church has been preaching throughout generation after generation, I want us to consider first how that affects our past. And to do that, I want us to look at Romans chapter 6. I'll give you all a second to get there. Romans chapter 6. Man, it is hot in here. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to see. My glasses are going to fog up here in a second. <laughs> Chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 3, and we're going to progress at least to verse 11 probably to verse 14 though so Romans chapter 6 as we consider as Paul here preaching in Romans is preaching about our hope and what the the reality of the resurrection has an effect on us and our our sins that we have committed I want us I want us to to, to grasp this that Christ has been raised and and as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if he were not then we would still be in our sins I want us to understand that because he is we are not do you hear me do you understand what I'm saying when I say that right as we dig through Romans chapter 6 here I want you to understand that if you are a follower of Christ, your sins do not loom over you as a dark cloud. Your past does not haunt you. Will not haunt you. Do you understand? And I hope that you do. That if Christ had not been raised, then we would have no hope. But because He has been raised... We have a hope that should change everything about the way that we live. But most of us can't get over the fact that we're still guilty in our own minds of sins that we've committed, of failures in our lives, shortcomings, things that we thought we would amount to that we did not, things that we did that we should not have done. And those things weigh on us. They hold us back. They hinder us. So that we can't be useful today for stumbling over what's gone. And that's the reality that when Christ died, He died for you. For your sins, believer. They were placed on that cross. He was there. Hung up on a cross. Naked. Bearing your shame. Your guilt. So please, follower of Christ, please give it up. He took it. Quit hanging on to that. 
That's what Paul's telling us here. Chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised, again, this understanding founded in the reality of His resurrection. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When? When might we walk? In, at some point in the future, we might walk. Or might we walk today? Because of what Christ has done, because of the reality of His resurrection, you, believer, can walk today in newness of life. 4, verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in death, in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Now, I want, you to, I want you to see the chain of logic that's going on in Paul's mind. You today, dragging along with you this body of death, can live in newness of life because Christ was raised. And if Christ was raised, you too have a hope to be raised. On that day, you will not drag this body of death. You will be given a resurrected body. So live like that today is what he's telling us. Live today as who you are in Christ. That's the logic here. We can live with that newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I want you to understand this, believer, is that if you are in Christ, you are not a slave to sin. For one who has died, he says, verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. You are free, believer. Now, this is verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Again, this idea of dying or hope for living. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Verse 10. For death, for the death He died, He died to sin. Once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you consider yourself dead to sin? Or do you consider yourself a slave to sin? If you find yourself in reality a slave to sin, come to the feet of Christ, the living Savior, who will set you free from sin. But if you have placed your faith in Him already, you are free. You are in no obligation to commit that sin. Turn from it. Repent of it. Continue in repentance. You can live in newness of life because He is alive. That is the reality of the Christian faith. Don't tell me that you cannot turn from that sin. Believer, don't tell me that when the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Don't tell me that you can't be free. Don't tell me that He did not set you free. Let's continue on. Now, if we have died with Christ, uh, we believe also that we will live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you... Also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let not sin, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, 
but under grace. The reality is, is that when Christ was raised from the dead, all of those who have placed their hope in Him live free under the grace of God, not enslaved to the sin or the shame that once enslaved us. We are free believers. And that is how His resurrection has changed our past. I want us, before we talk about our future anymore, I want us to consider our, our, our present. I want us to consider our future. Let's, let's turn now to Luke chapter 24. And this is, the, this is the place that as I kind of started this, I told you guys you might find this a strange place to look in, uh, into our future hope because it, it, it just seems very ordinary. As we look at this text, what I want to strike you is that it does, in fact, look very ordinary. It doesn't look unfamiliar to you. There's no, there's no events in this passage of text that, that are going to just blow you away like this resurrected Jesus did this crazy, crazy thing in this text here. Uh, but, but for me, as I read this, as I consider the tiny details in this, considering we are, uh, Christ was the first fruits of a resurrection that we hope for, as I look at this text and I look at what Jesus is said to be doing here in His resurrected body, in the body that He is in now, when I look at this text, I see these small details that encourage me that maybe, maybe when I open my eyes on that day in that new reality, that it looks a lot more familiar to me than oftentimes I've been led to believe. So if we're going to place our hope in something, let us, let us place our hope in what Christ in his new resurrection body looks like. Verse 13. And like I said, we're going to read through this text, and I'm just going to point out some small things to you along the way. Don't expect to, to there to be any just major mind-blowing passage here, but it is in the small details of what we see of Christ that we can find some great hope and great encouragement. Verse 13. That every day two of them, or, or that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together. Jesus himself drew near and went to them. So the, the part in this text that I want us to notice is, is Jesus drawing near. Now, if you would read on ahead, you would note that when He came up, they didn't see anything overly special about Him. What that tells me is this new resurrection body, when it says He drew near to them, they're walking along the road. What is Jesus doing? He's walking up to them. He's not floating, right? Because here's the reality is if He's floating around, I'm going to notice it, <laughs> right? I'm going to be like, there's a ghost or there's an angel or there's a whatever, right? So they're walking and Jesus, after the resurrection, draws near to them walking. And the hope that I got, the hope that I get from this, and the hope that I hope that you all, because I know that, that many of us have experienced losses in this life. Uh, there's been so many within our church who's who've had spouses that have that have died, gone on to be with the Lord, and, and you can find yourself in this place of like, I don't necessarily know what it's going to look like when I see them again, when I meet them again. And the reality is, is that they are going to be in a body in such a way as that you can draw near to them again. A lot of times we have hope. Will I ever be able to will I ever be able to reach out, right? Take them by the hand. The reality is, is that the hope that we have in the resurrected Savior in which we serve is that He draws near. And I'm not talking just in a spiritual sense here. Right? When He drew near to them, He literally drew near to them. He's walking with them. Verse 16, But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And, and the thing that I want to note in this verse is that he, he must have been recognizable if their eyes had to be kept from recognizing Him. So when I consider what that means for our resurrection bodies, I consider that when you see me there, you will recognize me. You will see me. I will look like me. 
Apart from any of the effects that sin has wrecked on our bodies now. Right? So that is a hope for me. That we will be recognizable. That I'll see Ray and I'll know Ray. That I'll see my wife. I'll see my parents. I'll see my kids and I'll know them there. Seems a little more real to me. Considering those things. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding? Again, he said to them. Right? He said, so Jesus drawing near, walking with them, talking with them. They can see this body that he is in. Their eyes momentarily have been blinded for the sake of Jesus playing games with them, apparently. Because it seems like that's what he does here in the coming text. And he's asking them this question like, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. So I wanted to note here, they're looking sad now. When we get a little further in the text, we're going to see that their hearts have been burning because Jesus was with them. And I want us to understand that in that moment, in that day, when we see the reality, any sadness that we may think, anything that we may think we have lost here, we will realize on that day we have lost nothing. And we will burn in our hearts with a passion for Him and, and the glory that He has uh, brought to Himself. Then one of them, named Cleophas, answered Him, Are you the only, is, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does, does not know these things that have happened in these days? And He said to them, What things? Now, I, I, my imagination has me here like, like, I wonder, does He have a smirk on His face? He said, What things? Did, Enlighten me on the things that I've missed out on in the last three days. Right? What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He's like, hmm, yeah. Tell me about that Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was... To redeem Israel. And he's probably sitting there. Yeah, yeah. Continue on. Continue on. Yes, besides all this, now, the, now it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Take note of what we find in this next couple of passages. We're going we're gonna to dig into this. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Now, now as I look at this, and I'm considering the resurrection, I'm considering what Christ now in His resurrected body is doing for these men that He is now drawn near to to, that he's speaking to, that he's conversing with. What is he doing here? He's opening their eyes to scriptures. And as I consider this, I ask myself this question Will scripture exist in eternity? Will God's word fail to be God's word there? Or will God's word exist there? Tell me, does God's word fail? So on, on that day, let, let us place ourselves in the view of eternity. Let us place ourselves beyond our resurrection. And we're sitting there and we're hearing conversations about David and Bathsheba in eternity. So, so you're telling me Scripture will exist there and I will know all of the saints of old and their, their failures and their shortcomings, but you won't know mine. Hmm. Hmm. Is that what we believe? Because I believe many of us think that we're going to forget about everything that happened here. That's what we believe. But now you would say to me, yeah, I think Scripture exists there because God's Word couldn't fail. So clearly if Jesus is sharing with them Himself from Moses and the prophets that He would probably do the same for us. Look at what happens to human beings throughout those books. And yet we think 
That all of our sins and wrongdoings are just going to be like, nobody's going to know about it, but Scripture's going to exist there. Could it be? And this is the reality that I look at when I see this, when I consider what Christ has done. He is the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. But when He is there, He will say, look, touch me, feel. I was, I was sacrificed for you. Well, no, sacrificed for what, Jesus? Because we've apparently forgotten everything that happened in that other reality. Or could it be? Could it be that the same truth of a risen Savior that allows you today to walk in newness of life will so overshadow your shortcomings there that you will not be held back by shame? Or guilt? Could it be that our hope for reality in the resurrection is not one in which we forget what our Savior died for, but in which our hope in that salvation overshadows everything? And if that is the hope that we have, why can we not live like that now? Right? Why can we not live like that now? This is why I say when I want us to consider the resurrection, when I want us to consider these things, I want it to shape the way that we live now. Do not, believer, if you were to be here and you were lost, you don't know the reality that I'm speaking to here, Please come to the feet of Christ. Know this risen Savior. But if you are a believer, if you are a believer here today, know that He is bigger than all of your failings. Than all of your shortcomings. That as He's opening the Scriptures to who He is, to them for His glory, that it may in fact be on that day you realize that your guilt and shame magnifies who He is. And I am not telling you, go and sin. I'm not telling you go and sin so that His glory could be made greater. But what I'm saying is that as we press forward knowing who He is, that we're not held back by the fear of failing, of falling short. That I stand here before you today a man who sins, knowing that all of you sin as well telling you that there is a Savior risen that we can place our hope in that one day though we walk now in newness of life one day we will be united with Him in the resurrection that is the hope that presses us forward we could go on there's a couple of different places uh, that we could look at through this uh, through this text um, he goes on and they break bread with him. Um, verse 30, uh, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. So here we see Jesus in his resurrected body eating with them. That seems ordinary and unless you find yourself someone who, who can't eat who maybe once did. And you think, that was a good gift. All these things, when God created the world, He says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then sin comes in and, and seems to wreck everything. Could it be that instead of a do-over that God is with Christ as the first fruits, renewing all that He had said was good, so that our eternity will look more like what we experience today minus the fall than it would a, a Casper church service. Is that a reality? Jesus is eating. And of all the things that we could expect to see from a resurrected Savior, the authors of Scripture chose 
to give us not the miraculous, but the mundane. The walking, the talking, the reading of the Bible, the eating with one another. This is what we see of the resurrected Savior. And here's the reality when we consider that as it looks a lot like the life we know. Christ was raised to life and not a lesser life. Right? Oftentimes when we think of it, our views of that day seem lesser than what we know today. Is that true of you? When you consider the hope that you have, is there any part of you that thinks that it will be less enjoyable then than it is now? I think a lot of times if we were honest, we would probably say, yeah, it seems like it could get a little boring there. The reality is, is that those things that God created and said were good are good. And I see no reason if He's resurrecting a body that could eat, that could walk, that could talk, that our eternity looks like something that we can't grasp. When we have a Savior that we can touch, and feel as he comes in uh, the latter part of this text, uh, um, verse thirty-eight, and uh, he come or verse thirty-seven. Uh, but they were startled. Jesus kind of come come in among them. They were startled and frightened, and thought he was th- thought they saw a spirit because clearly the guy's dead. We know this. You don't see people come back from the dead. They're like, "What is this? A ghost?" And he says to them. Verse 38, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Guys, he's like, guys, it's me. Touch me, he says. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And they marveled. Verse 41. They mar- like, like this is unbelievable. What they, what they must have experienced in that moment must have been so mind-blowing, so earth-shattering that it says this in verse, verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy, right? They, they weren't just doubting here. They were like, could it be, man? Could it be? Could it be that death has died in Christ? Could it be, church? Could it be that death has no hold on us? Many of you may may disbelieve for joy's sake. It sounds too great. Believe. One day you will lay hands on the risen Savior. You will touch Him. You will know Him. You will walk with Him. You will talk with Him. And while they were disbelieving, (laughs) He said to them, you got anything to eat? <laughs> what? Jesus. Like, like they're over here like blown away. And, and the text that we get after this is you got anything to eat? Wow. We may eat there. As many times as we see Jesus eating after the resurrection, <laughs> I think it's probably a safe bet to say that there we will eat something. <laughs> Verse 43. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Church, I want you to understand that the resurrection of Christ was a real and bodily resurrection that has effects on your past that sets you free. It has effects on your future hope that allows us to walk today unhindered. Or it should. And I hope that this sermon is a reminder to you of the reality of what we should be experiencing as followers of Christ. To finish up, I want us to flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to read a couple of verses. And it's going to kind of be the close of of this sermon. The writer of Hebrews here, after pouring through account of faith, after account of faith, after account of faith, throughout the Old Testament in chapter 11, Uh, starts chapter 12 like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, I hope that you were encouraged. I hope that the reality of the resurrection and what that means for you to be free from your sin, your shame, your guilt, and to hope in a future in which you don't have to forget because you have a Savior who is bigger and greater, who died and will be magnified for His sacrifice on the cross for all eternity. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And when we're there in our resurrected bodies, living that life that we should be walking in now, singing that song, Worthy is the Lamb. We won't have to forget about this world to do it. Because we'll see the truth of Romans chapter 8. That He is in fact in all things working for our good and His glory and the work that He's doing here today. So... Knowing all that's been behind us, all the church history that's come before us, I would say with Paul here, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for letting us gather here today uh, to spend time in the study of your word as we as we now uh, go into a worship service, I, I pray that the truth of your word would rest on our souls, rest on us in such a way that we could worship you unhindered by the cares and concerns of this world that, that we know that we that we uh, serve a savior who is alive, who is alive, who who we will touch, who we will walk with, who will draw near to us. Lord, as we press on, let us do so with endurance, encouraging one another. Lord, let us go out into the world in which You've placed us and the lives in which You've given us and You continue to place breath in our lungs and, and paths for our feet to take. I pray that You would uh, use us, Lord, let us be useful today. Let us not waste time worrying over the past. Let us look towards Christ, who is our hope, and press on for your glory, Lord. It's in Christ's name. Amen.